Interestingly, that's when I first realized like what kind of burden you're taking on with real users, you know, as a maintainer. But in the early days, you don't really, you don't really feel that much because,、uh, you know, I didn't have kids. I was like just super passionate about it, and every issue coming in, I was just like, yeah, let's figure this out. Let's fix this bug.、Uh, I'm, I'm going to answer all your questions, fix all your bugs, do as much as I can. That's Evan Yeo. Maintainer of View, and this is the Readme Podcast, a podcast that takes a peek behind the curtain at some of the most impactful open source projects, developers who make them happen. I'm B. Dougie, aka Brian Douglas, and I'm Kathy Korvac. Every episode, Kathy and I invite a maintainer or open source developer into our studio to explore their work, their story, and where the two meet. In this episode, we speak with Evan, who initially had thoughts of working in the creative field, but took a course in art school that would change his trajectory and lead him into his love for programming and building things that go out into the world. He tasted fame early on when something he created got on the front page of Hacker News, and over the years, his career took off. Originally from China, Evan is now based on the East Coast, a father of two and maintainer of an ever-growing framework. In this conversation. Evan shares his first impressions upon arriving in the U.S., how he came to open source, and the way he turned his passion into his business. Yeah, so I came here for college, and when I was graduating from high school, it was still kind of a bit unconventional for for someone from China to come to the states for undergrad. There are, I mean, I know quite a few fellow like friends that did the same, but、um, overall, compared to The amount of people in China, like right, it's a kind of a rare thing to do.、Uh, I actually applied without without an SAT score, just like hoped for the best, and somehow got、uh, got an offer from Colgate. That's where I went.、Uh, you talked about your your first impressions in coming to the U.S. at eighteen, and your expectations of Colgate being close to New York, and you found that it wasn't. Uh, could you share a little bit more about your sort of interactions?、Uh, I guess, quote unquote, coming to America. Sure.、Um, so to me, it was a, a little bit of a different kind of culture shock. I was expecting something like New York City, you know, like the things we saw on TV in China about America. But really, nobody showed us what a, a rural, like liberal arts college, was like.、Uh, so. When I got there, also realized Colgate had very few Chinese students back then. Now I think they have more. But、uh, when I was there for like one or two years of of my time at Colgate, I was like one of the two Chinese students from mainland China at that time. So that was、uh, actually pretty tough because、uh, you don't you you have very people with that share this like same cultural background with you. But but I still remember like we would try to. Get on the bus and getting to New York City to just like get this different side of America. So every time like there was、um, you know spring break, we were just like yeah, let's go to New York. Evan was interested in the arts and seriously considered pursuing it, but his family had different aspirations for him. And while at that time that might have felt stifling, it's those aspirations that ultimately led him to open source.、Uh, my dad, my dad really didn't like it. <laughs> We had some、uh, pretty intense arguments around this. His main argument was like, "You're not going to be able to get a job with an art history degree as a foreigner because、uh, you will need an H-1B visa and all that stuff." And turns out he was right. 
It was really hard to uh, find a job in the art segment, you know, that offers work visas, which is why I actually had to uh, kind of go another route. Uh, so after I graduated from Colgate, I went to Parsons for a Master of Fine Arts program, Master of Fine Arts in Design and Technology. So that's the that's a program that's hybrid between design and uh, coding, creative coding. That's actually when I actually started to learn how to properly program, use JavaScript, and build stuff on the web. Yeah. Do you have anything from like from from Parsons that you're particularly proud of, like some creative com- creative coding project you worked on? Yeah, um, I think most of the the classes we were taught at Parsons uh, they were using processing, open frameworks. There were a few classes actually focused on stuff on the web, like JavaScript. But I was super drawn to all the creative coding in the browser environment stuff. So Google came out with a lot of Chrome experiments. That's when like the early days where people start to realize you can actually build pretty cool stuff in a browser, right, with JavaScript. And I was like, this is, to me, it was more attractive mostly because when you, after you build something, you can just share it with anyone with a URL. Right? Anyone with a browser can open it. Uh, and some of the stuff we were building at Parsons, like a processing sketch, for a non-technical person, they don't even know how to open it. So you can't really like just send it over to them and say, hey, look at this. Right? Um, so I started just to teach myself JavaScript. And then I built this thing. Uh, I don't know if you remember, there was an app called Clear. It's this very colorful to-do app where... Uh, I think it was like the the thing that first invented this like swipe to clear gesture. Almost. Yeah, I totally remember this, and it was like revolutionary, and all. And then everybody started copying what they were doing. I remember, I remember using it and thinking, "I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get so much done." <laughs> I saw it. I was like, "Wow! Like, can we build this in the browser with web technologies?" And so that's what I kind of. I just spent like a few days like digging into it and uh, tried to replicate this using uh, touch gestures and uh, CSS transforms and all that. And it worked, kind of worked. Looking back, the code was terrible, but like it, it worked. Right? So I made a video and posted it online and uh, people kind of went crazy. Uh, actually, it got onto the front page of Hacker News. Uh, that was the, the first time I got something onto the front page of Hacker News. And... Um, I think it kind of uh, shocked people that uh, you can, the the mobile browser is actually capable of replicating something like this. Because before that, everyone was like, wow, like web technology sucks. You can't really build anything with it. So that was one thing I was pretty proud of when I was still at Parsons. This moment really launched Evan's career and grabbed the attention of tech companies far and wide. Facebook was interested. And for Evan, still a young programmer, just at the tip of this new venture, that was enticing and exciting. They actually flew me out to California. Yeah. And I failed that interview because my JavaScript really wasn't that good back then. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it wasn't really a full app. It was more like a prototype, just like a demo. But at least that opened up a few of these opportunities for me. That kind of also gave me the confidence that you can build cool stuff with JavaScript. So I spent more time learning JavaScript, then got some more cool stuff in my portfolio, uh, and event, which eventually I think that led to 
the recruiter at Google noticing the stuff that I built. So I got a I got an email or a call from the recruiter at Google Creative Lab, which was the essentially the team behind all those cool Chrome experiments. So I was super super excited to you know get noticed by them because work by Google Creative Lab was pretty much what got me into creative programming and JavaScript in the first place. That was kind of probably one of the most like. I don't know, like uh, unexpected and kind of uh, dreamy moments of my life. It's like I just got this call and like, do you want to work at Google Creative Lab? And this is like the exact place. Like I can't back then, I couldn't imagine a better place to work at for me. Like yeah. So I, with the art history degree, yeah, I can feel the, how thick the serendipity is of being able to like basic. I met, did you go back to your dad and say, hey, this degree got me somewhere? Uh huh. It's funny because we never really talked about that afterwards. But uh, my dad now he's like, "Okay, you, you're good." Um, yeah, that's funny. So now at, at this point, you're at Google working at Creative Lab. When when did you start thinking about Vue and thinking about creating it? Like, what's the delta we're we're working with here? I think. Let me let me trace it back. Uh, I joined Google around 2012, I think. Uh, Vue was. The first commit was like in mid 2013. <clears throat> so the work I did at Creative Lab was a lot of these rapid prototyping. So Creative Lab don't really build like hardcore engineering products. Most of the time, we are so-called creative technologists <clears throat> that work with creative directors, copywriters. Uh, just the whole theme is creative, right? So, and you know, like creative agencies like to run fast. Uh, it's always like you get a brief, then people sit down, come up with a bunch of crazy ideas, then just run wild. And the focus was just to get something tangible, get something like you know presented as fast as possible. So, us, yeah, a lot of sprints. So my job was to like build these crazy ideas out as as fast as possible. Say Angular One was already out back then, but it's just like really heavy and wasn't really suitable for this kind of rapid prototyping that we were doing. And and for me, coming from a you know a non computer science or engineering background, Angular was too heavy handed because of all the concepts, you know, design patterns that's kind of ingrained into it. You know, people coming from C sharp or Java would probably be more comfortable. But for me, it was just like a lot of extra stuff that I either didn't need or didn't understand. So I was like, how can I just take the bits that I feel that's really actually useful, and then maybe write a lighter weight library for myself? Uh, that's the essentially how the idea about Vue came around. I mean, when I started, I didn't even have the hope that it, I would even be able to use it in my work at Google because um, I know how how hard it is to get something from just an idea to something that's production ready. It's also kind of a cool pastime because you know I was I didn't have kids back then, so I had a lot of free time. The, yeah, the main focus was really just to expose something that. Uh, that gets to the point as fast as possible. So Vue came out of this need of rapid prototyping, but I've always kind of itched to build something that's more robust and engineering oriented. So the job at Creative Lab was a really, really good one. I really enjoyed it, but like the only thing that I 
I wish I could do more at that job was to build something that's actually production ready. You know, you can ship to people uh, that people actually use because all of the stuff we built were just prototypes after prototypes and uh, used in internal presentations shown to these high level executives. And they'll be like, oh, we like this. Let's hand it over to the engineering team so they can build the real thing. So for me, it was like, I don't want to just keep building the, the not real thing. I want to build the real thing myself, right? So, so which is why I kind of spent more time trying to think about how, to, how I can, you know, evolve you into something that's capable of handling the real thing. While the creative lab at Google was a dream come true, a convergence of all that Evan was interested in, it couldn't fulfill his every wish. He wanted to make things that went out into the world, that were used and interacted with, that could potentially change the quality of people's lives. And that's how Vue was really able to grow. But it didn't happen right away. It took quite a long time, to be honest. Uh, the first commit was in mid-2013, <laughs> but I didn't really release it until February 2014. Right? It was kind of on and off, just a really a personal project. I didn't tell anyone. It's just like this thing that I work on in my spare time. And I eventually put it out there on, in February 2014, and that's when it got onto Hacker News again. Then people were like, wow, this is like, cool, a uh, breath of fresh air. And I was, wow, okay, cool. Let's uh, spend some more time on this. Interestingly, that's when I first realized like what kind of burden you're taking on with real users you know, as a maintainer. But in the early days, you don't really, you don't really feel that much because, uh, you know, I didn't have kids. I was like just super passionate about it, and every issue coming in, I was just like, yeah, let's figure this out. Let's fix this bug. Uh, I'm, I'm going to answer all your questions, fix all your bugs, do as much as I can. You're like the dream maintainer. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think every, every open source developer kind of had. You know, you go through that initial stage because you're just so excited about getting your stuff out of the door. You want to just make sure everything is perfect. So there was a period of time, you know, you just spend all your time on it, pretty much. So I'm going to ask you a really, really hard question. What is Vue? So it has <laughs> evolved over time, right? Uh, when it first came out, I would say... Vue was, was a library. It, it was a, just a Vue layer library. It's just uh, something that connects your data to some rendered HTML. But today, Vue is more like a uh, whole ecosystem, right? And specifically to what I work on nowadays, it's more like I would properly categorize it as a framework. So Vue today now does fall into a framework, but we call it the progressive framework because um, because Vue started as a, just a core library, then we added more things, layered more things on top of it to eventually become a framework. And we paid special attention to design it in a way that you can still use it uh, just the way that Vue was offered from day one, which is you can just pull it from a CDN link and then have some inline JavaScript and you can get something interactive in your HTML page. If you want a proper framework, we have a CLI that scaffolds all the latest and fanciest build setup with single file components. We are adding more advanced. So Vue 3 has a lot of pretty uh, advanced compiler, you know, ahead of time static analysis, just compile your stuff into more efficient code. 
right? So it kind of evolved a lot over the time. So today I would say Vue is just a, a framework that you can incrementally adopt. You can choose how much you want to use out of the framework. The commitment to doing open source full-time is a big one, and it can feel risky, especially when you have a secure job. I was trying to wrap my head around Evan's timeline to working full-time on Vue. So before I went full-time on Vue and between I left Google, I actually worked for a startup remotely. I, so when I was at Google, uh, there was this company called Meteor. Meteor is also a open source JavaScript framework. <coughs> Back then, Meteor was kind of this like huge thing. Uh, I felt like, wow, this looks like some cool thing to try because, you know, I was as I mentioned, I was getting a little bit frustrated at the, the type of work I was doing at Creative Lab. And, you know, Meteor just kind of checked all the boxes, like open source, JavaScript, uh, Silicon Valley, you know, startup. You know, I was like, maybe it's time to leave the big company and try, try a startup. I was young. I was like, I don't want to just stay at a big company forever. And uh, I figured out I would have to try a startup life for once in my life. So they flew me out to San Francisco. Interestingly, they invited me over to just to give a tech talk on Vue. Um, so I prepared this talk. I still remember um, I was still fixing bugs the day before the talk because I was preparing the talk. And I was like, wait, this part doesn't really look right. And then I found this like kind of design flaw <clears throat> in the implementation. And I was just like spent the whole night fixing that bug. Uh, before the talk. And then I gave the talk and they were like, okay, the talk is really cool. We want to give you an offer. Do you want to work for us? <laughs> I didn't expect it. I figured it would, might have to do something with it. They may ask me to stay for an interview, but I didn't expect them to just give me the offer on the spot. So I thought about it. I was like, cool. Uh, I also get to work remote so that I don't, I was living, already living in New Jersey back then. So I was like, wow, if I work remote, I don't have to commute like, Two hours every day, that's kind of cool. Uh, so I took the offer and started working for Meteor remotely. I think I worked for Meteor a bit over a year. It seemed like Meteor was ideal. However, Evan was hoping he could incorporate Vue into his work with them, but that wasn't the case. While Meteor was doing great work, it ultimately didn't align with Evan's aspirations. Uh, the, the, the thing is, they didn't really want me to sort of take Vue into Meteor and then like sort of work the two systems together. They just wanted me to work on Meteor. Yeah, my time at Meteor was kind of, uh, I was conflicted because uh, I still want to work on Vue, right? I still work on Vue in my spare time. But the company just didn't really want to consider it as, you know, a potential, you know, Vue layer for Meteor because Meteor is a full stack framework. They had their own system called Blaze, which Funny enough, their uh, internal reactivity system is very similar to Vue. I think that it was around that time uh, Vue was discovered by Taylor Otwell. Taylor is the author of Laravel. And um, he, he made this tweet saying like, hey, I, I tried to learn React, but it just you know, felt kind of complicated. And I tried Vue and I can understand it. This, this is cool. Uh, and um, so he made that tweet and uh, it, it kind of brought attention to all these Laravel developers and uh, in general PHP developers who were in general, they were not super into this kind of like fancy front end stuff. So they, all they want is just something they can easily and quickly understand and then uh, add interactivity to a primarily 
server rendered application. Uh, and if Vue fit that case really well. That was kind of the moment when I realized, okay, like I actually didn't know about Laravel until then. So I checked out Laravel, I was like, wow, like this framework is like huge, like so many users. If all of them use Vue, then Vue could be huge too. That was kind of the moment I started to realize, oh, maybe I'm onto something, right? If, if such a huge community of people would adopt Vue, and Taylor seems to be already, I don't know if Taylor was already working full-time on Laravel back then, but you know, if, if someone else can do open source full-time, maybe I can too. So that was the moment I started thinking about the idea, like how can I just make this my full-time job? Like what if this can actually be sustainable? Everyone was right. Vue had the potential to be huge, and it is. Taylor Otwell, creator of Laravel, promoted Vue, helping it develop and demonstrating that the ecosystem of open source works. Vue's growth has been exponential, and that growth continues. Just last year, its users doubled. And Evan says the growth has been organic and really down to the community that supports it. Vue's story is that of an underdog, eminently successful without corporate backing. And while corporate backing can be a huge financial relief, not having it can be an asset. I was actually just discussing this with uh, Jordan Walk the other day, who is the inventor of React. So I was thinking React's growth path was mostly like, it came out of a big company. It was kind of met with ridicule in the beginning, but then it, it, had, it formed this really, really strong and sort of uh, enthusiastic early adopters group who kind of evangelized React, how awesome it is. And then all these companies around Facebook, sort of started adopting it, you know, it, all these Silicon Valley startups pretty much like, they're just all React. And all these ex-Facebookers who start companies, they're probably gonna use React too. So it kind of like radiates and it just like trickles down from these big companies, uh, Silicon Valley startups, this network, they all just use React. Um, whereas Vue goes from a completely different demographic where, um, Small companies, small to medium-sized companies, independent developers, uh, people who are not primarily front-end developers, like back-end developers who just want to get some front-end job done. There are actually a huge long-tail like market of these developers looking for something. They're not looking for something that's like super 10x enterprise-ready or super super cutting bleeding-edge advanced. They are just looking for something that is easy to learn, easy to get into. Get, get the job done. Something that works, yeah, and fast. And, and that's, I think, at least, like, I believe that's how Vue got its initial adoption. An important issue for open source maintainers is how to make an income. Evan was the first developer that I ever came across that leveraged Patreon to get funded for an open source project. What was the inspiration? When I was considering all these uh, possible ways to work on open source full-time, right? I looked into it and the common answer is you either build a product, uh, you charge for money for that product, or you offer like consulting, like related to your thing. But to me, I, I just, you know, I felt like consulting is just trading my time for money, then how, how would I end up getting time to actually work on the thing itself? Because what I want to do is just actually work on the thing itself. So I want somewhat passive income that is not tied to sort of like this always trying to deliver something so that you can get more money coming in, right? 
I want to kind of decouple the income stream from from incentives that would distract me away from actually improving view itself. And I feel like Patreon looks like a pretty easy way to at least it handles all the you know payment and uh, sort of customer management stuff, which is why I decided to try it. And um, in the early stages, I also got uh, some help from a a friend's company. Shout out to Strikingly. They were a YC back company, so I, I'm a one of their funders is my friend and. They have this uh, open source, little open source fund where they essentially sponsor some open source creators with this money um, for a few months, and they kind of rotate between different projects. And my friend was like, "Hey, we can just, you know, if you want to actually do this, we can give you, you know, two thousand dollars a month for a few months just to kickstart this." I was like, "Oh, wow, cool. Okay, thank you very much." Uh, so co- this combined with the initial patron, I think. In a couple months, I got to around like four thousand dollars a month combined, and um, I'm not entirely clear about the timeline. But I think by the time I decided to actually just uh, go full time, I was probably making around three thousand to four thousand purely from view related like Patreon and open source uh, donations. So, obviously, not as much as what I'd get from Google or a Silicon Valley startup. But I was like, you know, things will improve later. I have some savings. Worst case scenario, if this doesn't work out in in a year or two, I'll just go back to a big company. I mean, because at that time, I'm pretty confident. Like with with a project of this sort of uh, caliber, I'm I'm pretty sure I can leverage that to. Get back into big companies whenever I want. So that was also one of the reasons I was like, "Why not just give it a try?" I was hoping like some company would be willing to, you know, hire me to work on View back then. But now I'm like, I I would never go back to a salary job. <laughs> <laughs> now now you're set. Okay, so it sounds like a lot of. From my perspective, a lot of things have fallen into place for you. So you got Colgate, Parsons, Google. You have. Patreon and a lot of people really interested in view this thing you built, and uh, there's probably a lot more that I'm missing. But why I'm cu- curious, why do you think that is? Was it like luck, confidence, hard work, instinct? Was it all of that combined? Yeah, I, I honestly like it's it's hard. I think it's it's probably a combination of everything, a little bit from everything. There's definitely luck involved. I think the the timing is important. If you came out at a time where there wasn't this like single super super dominant, or or I would say like today, you know, if you think about starting a new framework, it's really hard to get attention because all these early frameworks like React or Vue have strong ecosystems. You have all these sort of resources that's in place that's really hard to uh, replicate as a, as a new contender. But back then, when I was just a random young person who's building a new JavaScript framework, right? Tell that idea to someone today, and they'll be they'll laugh at you. Like I want to build a new JavaScript framework to compete with React, right? Uh, but but back then it was actually something that's possible. Yeah. So so I, I would definitely say it's a, it's a little bit of everything. So persistence, 
being kept come up with the right idea at the right time and um and also i guess um i i would say like i don't know if i i kind of happen to make the right decisions or just i'm super lucky like honestly it's it's hard to say <laughs> right? uh but A lot of the times, I just trust my intuitions, and it kind of worked out. What's next for you, for View? V three came out last year, and we actually、um, don't really consider it done because、uh, a lot of people are still. We are still working on this sort of、uh, two to three migration, sort of a better way for people to migrate from V two to V three, and but for the past month, I've actually been mostly focusing on this new build tool called Vite. Which I think will serve as this new foundation for、uh, view, view tooling. I, I believe、uh, this thing is going to be pretty pretty important、uh, in terms of improving the development experience for view developers and maybe other frameworks because it's actually framework agnostic.、Um, so Vite is not the only thing that's、uh, exploring this. There are also projects like Snowpack, WMR.、Um, Obviously, shout out to ES Build, which、uh, Vite leverages, and there's、uh, SWC, which is a compiler written in Rust.、Um, so I- I'm seeing like th- we are essentially having a renaissance, a new kind of wave of these tooling that's focused on just like exploring, like can we we we've kind of come to take slow JavaScript tooling as a given. Like it is time for us to kind of reconsider, like can we actually make it fast again? And I think yes, we can. Last question, I think, for you: What advice do you have for people who are getting started with either a project like View or with open source? I think the most important thing is to just be honest with yourself what you want to get out of the project. I mean, it's 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 totally fine if you just you're building this project just to make a name for yourself, or you're just you know scratching your own technical itch. You know,、uh, there are a lot of Valid reasons to just create an open source project and put it out there, but、um, what I want to help people avoid is unknowingly slip into this burnout cycle where you are now suddenly、uh, pouring all your time into something, into maintaining a project, but you don't know what you're getting out of it. Right? I think a lot of times,、uh, maybe you can realize, hey, like. You're just putting something out there for free for people to use. It's not necessarily your responsibility to handle every incoming request. You know, you need to sometimes set a boundary, or just like tell yourself, like, am I putting this out there to to make sure I fix every single bug, or I'm just like, this is what I want to put out there. Just use it. If it doesn't work, just use something else. Right? As a maintainer, you kind of want to have this clear idea of like. What, where my boundary for this open source project is, and once you set that boundary, just be honest with yourself, and you'll have a much easier time making decisions.、Uh, I think a lot of times we just get tricked into doing things we don't want to do because of this guilt. But if you recognize that and you kind of be honest with it, and you you just you'll have a much easier time just saying no to things. Cool. I think that's good life advice. I definitely need to say no to things more often. <laughs> Well, Evan, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Yes, thanks. Very insightful. <laughs> Thank you. It was really nice talking to you. That was an exciting conversation with Evan, and so good to have him on the Read Me podcast. To learn more about Evan and View, you can visit 
V-U-E-J-S dot org. I'm Brian Douglas, and I'm a developer advocate here at GitHub. And I'm Kathy Korvac, and I work in product at GitHub. The README podcast is a GitHub podcast that dives into the challenges our guests face and how they overcame those hurdles. In sharing these stories, we hope to provide a spotlight on what you don't always see in the lines of code and what it took to build the technology that inspires us all. It's been really great spending time with you. The README podcast is part of the README project at GitHub, a space that amplifies the voices of the developer community, the maintainers, leaders, and the teams whose contributions move the world forward every day. Visit github.com slash README to learn more. Our theme music has been produced on GitHub by Dan Gorelick with title cycles, additional music from Ray Royale, and Blue Dot Sessions. The README podcast is produced by Sound Made Public for GitHub. Please subscribe, share, and follow GitHub on Twitter for updates on the podcast and all things GitHub. Thanks for listening. <laughs>